and the founder of Reebok. And it's such a pleasure to be on Ryan Holt's uh, show podcast. podcast. <laughs> Perfect. Show podcast. I'm right on the show podcast. Ryan Holtz is a social media and creative marketing agency owner, husband, father, DJ, global citizen, keynote speaker, and is proud to bring you the Ryan Holt Show Podcast. Episode of the Ryan Holt Show podcast today. Oh, I have the most uh, amazing guest. But before we get to that, if you've not left a five star review on iTunes, please do so. And if you would like to see the full video version of this podcast, please go to youtube.com forward slash Ryan Holtz and uh, you'll be able to see everything. I am standing here at 8.04 a.m. Canadian time. Joe, what time is it where you are? You're in France right now, correct? We're in France right now, and it's 4 p.m. So, so, so Joe's uh, winding to the to, towards the end of his business day. I'm just I'm just starting over here. Uh, Joe Foster is the founder of Reebok, and here's what's really crazy about this. I seen Joe from an interview he did on Brad Lee's Dropping Bombs show, and the first thing I thought to myself was the founder of Reebok, and, and I just thought, is Brad? lying to all of us about who the founder of Reebok is because I thought I, I know Reebok but I just never knew the founder and it's really interesting because it segues into my first question for Joe uh, but before we get to that Joe welcome to the show my friend Great. thank you for the invitation <clears throat> it's a pleasure to be here it really is thank, thank you thank you thank you so much uh, so I own a marketing agency and I mean we're always big on brand um, and it's interesting because back in the day, if you ever had an employee or a team member try to put themselves, you know, quote unquote, above the brand, they would be fired. And now, given modern day technology, which Joe's talked, uh, you know, at length about in several interviews, you know, we have something called personal branding, where you're seeing a lot of the people behind the brand really come out into the forefront of the brand, ultimately humanizing the almighty logo. So, Joe, you talk a lot about you saying, hey, I wanted to build the brand and the story about why people need to Reebok as opposed to the Joe Foster show, per se. Why right. was that such a major thing for you at that time? Well, for me, the brand was everything. It was something that uh, you, you start something, you give it a name, and the last thing you need to do is confuse people. Mm. Um, we do have the J.W. Foster brand, which mm. was started by my grandfather way back in 1895. Mm. Um, but in order to get uh, the story over or to get the brand over, you don't need to be up there in front of the brand saying, I am Joe Foster and this is my brand. No, the brand mm. is just the important one. People just want to hear the name. They don't want confusion. So for me, it was a matter of you step back, and you get the brand, <clears throat> the brand first. So people really fall in love with the brand, just mm. as I did, way, way back in 1960. <laughs> now you have a you have a book called The Shoemaker, which I'm gonna put all the, the the description and links in the show notes so everybody can go and check out and get a copy. And it's kind of you know my take on the book is you know it's kind of a a, a monologue of kind of a story about hey this is what kind of went on behind the scenes and. And I'm Joe Foster, and I'm one of the founders of a, of a massive, you know, billion-dollar brand. Could you speak a little bit about the motivation 
uh, why in you know October 2020 that you said, hey, I'm I'm gonna actually come out and release a book now after all of these years. Well, it was seven years before that when <laughs> when I made that statement to myself, <clears throat> and it took seven <laughs> years to get that book into print. <laughs> uh, being a shoemaker, I and I experienced all the experiences in that. But uh, writing a book is a little bit different mm-hmm. because uh, you tend to understate certain things. You mm-hmm. tend to go into anecdotes and things rather than the story. Mm-hmm. So it, it took about um, ooh, five years, I think, to get through all that. And then it's been two years to get publishing. And <laughs> so <clears throat> it took me a long while. I probably am not a natural writer, but you know, it's uh, you need to get the right story over. And one of the reasons for that story is that uh, so many people will uh, will see so many variations um, wherever you, you see it. Um, and I, I thought, no, it's about time we told a true story. Mm. Some people think that uh, we just changed the name of J.D. Foster. And there are so many areas that people said, oh, we started this, started in this place, we did this. But this story, this is actually what happened. And so the story is out there to say, this, this is where we got came from, and this is my story. Mm. So, yeah, I say seven years ago, not just uh, three months ago. Well, there's two questions <clears throat> that co- there's two questions that come to mind. I mean, you know, number one is, you know, it takes five years to write the book. Did you manage to come up with a system of saying, no, Joe, between the hours of six a.m. and eight a.m. I need to put my pen to paper and of course you get writer's block and you write something and you're like, this is not in, this doesn't even reflect remotely what happened in the story. And you know, you're not a professional writer. So there's a lot of rough drafts. Did you, did did Julie kind of knock on your shoulder and say, Hey man, I'm keeping you accountable. You need to get this project finished and completed. We're going to set a deadline or me and you are going to be having, you're going to be having some disciplinary measures put on you. (laughs) Well, not really. I don't think, you know, being a shoemaker, having a story, there was no writer's block. That, mm. that was not a problem. Mm. It was, yeah, there were too many stories. They just mm. get covered. Uh, and the problem is that uh, you get so far down a storyline. Story uh, and all of a sudden you think, just a minute, we also did this. We also, mm. Now, how do I make this into a story? Because you don't just go down one line. It's just not one step in front of the other. There are side steps. There are different things that happen in your life. And mm. it's how do you bring it to what is important, what is not. And so it was a matter of putting as many stories as I could out, getting them in some chronological order, and then trying to make that into a book which <laughs> made good reading and <laughs> made sense. And so I needed help. I needed people to say, you know, you don't need that, you didn't need this. and. Uh, you know, make more of that because that's an important area of your So it took some time to get it down. And uh, no writer's block. Um, and in, in terms of um, discipline, I, I think really it was, uh, I don't think anyone was there to discipline me. I, I think I was trying myself to, uh, to, to get it right. Mm. And so getting it right meant I had to stop on numerous occasions and rethink, does this belong here? Did I make that journey at this time? Did I meet so-and-so at this time? And it, it, it's surprising. Mm. <laughs> uh, the thing the place, but slowly. Mm. And, and you need help. You, and, you, men- uh, 
you mentioned yes. earlier about the fact that you said, hey, there's been so many different versions of the story told by other people, some not even a part of the story, that you said, you know what, it's about time I tell the full story and the real story. And that comes down to narrative, you know, and in 2020, you know, with, with social media and technology, what we're finding is that, you know, there's so many different narratives around a story. Some are false, some are true. You know, there's, I don't even know if there's four sides to a story anymore. There's like 24 sides to a story, it seems nowadays. How, how, am, I guess I'm, I'm trying to frame the question as a lot of people used to say, listen, I don't, I don't want to put my whole life on social media. I'm very private. Some things I hold true. But now you're starting to see more and more people that historically have been very quiet start to come out using social media and really saying, I am going to control my own narrative. Was there any kind of, um, I guess, prompt or motivation for you when you said, hey, you know, I've read so many different versions. Was there any single thing that you said, I'm going to go and write the full story? Was there anything to really prompt you to do that? I I think it's a process. I I think that Hmm. over the years... So many people, so many people will come up and say, you know, a lot of friends, a lot of uh, um, for, former work uh, people would come and say, why don't you write your story? You know, you should write your story. And you, <laughs> you know, it's, always, it's always been my uh, my ambition. Well, it was, it was Reebok. Yeah, mm. Reebok is so important. But Reebok has gone through so, so many things. Mm. Um, and even now, you know, it is owned by Adidas. So it, it's going through all this. And uh, I... You know, people say things, well, I didn't know you did that. And, mm. and I would say, well, we didn't. You know, mm. you're into the Wikipedia. Wikipedia has a photograph of Joe Foster. Mm. I don't even know who that person is. <laughs> it, it, I, I, who is that person? And uh, you, know, you, you think, well, surely it's time for, to, to get this story correct, to get it straight. You know, it, it, it's not a question of saying everybody needs to know Joe Foster. They don't. But I think everybody needs to know where did Reebok come from? You know, yes. what's the history? You know, and it is a family history. It is a foster family history. Mm-hmm. And I've just previously, it goes back to my grandfather making himself a pair of spiked running shoes in 1895. Mm-hmm. You know, he was a real pioneer of spiked running shoes and athletic shoes. And and I think he actually uh, is credited with the invention of the training shoe. Mm-hmm. And, and you read his history, and his history is incredible. Had he been around at this time, yeah, everybody would have known Joe Foster. Mm. But he was in the era where... I'm so happy you're enjoying this episode of the Reinhold Show podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Reinhold's Marketing. At Reinhold's Marketing, we offer branding, content creation, consulting to help grow you or your business or your personal brand inside of that business. We know that in a digital world, it is extremely important to have a great presence using the interwebs. This is where we come in, whether it's video production, social media campaigns, you get it. We're online. We help you succeed in whatever goals that may be. If you would like to sponsor an episode of the Rhino Show podcast or partner to reach a, a higher audience and to also maybe have your company or your founder or your figurehead or spokesperson, you know, give a little bit of education on what your company provides in terms of service or offers, please email info at ryanholtz.ca. Also remember to subscribe on YouTube. Just go to youtube.com forward slash Ryan Holtz where you can find all of our video version of our 
podcast. And remember, if you're listening on iTunes, please smash a five-star review. We would be greatly appreciated. And this podcast is available anywhere you listen to podcasts. Always remember, curiosity should be your mandate. And uh, just want to wish you love, prosperity, and happiness from the Team Hold Squad. Take care and enjoy the remainder of this episode. Over and out. I mean, you think of the first part of the 20th century, really, you know, up to World War II. You know, how did you get your information? Not mm-hmm. a great deal. When I went out in 1958, you know, we didn't have computers. Mm-hmm. We didn't have mobile telephones. Mm-hmm. When I'm traveling, if I do something, I, yeah, I had to go. You could write a letter, but mm-hmm. letters, you know, talking about two weeks in between writing and anybody coming back to you. Yes. And telephone. Okay, if you sat behind a desk, as we are now, you have a telephone, and yes, somebody can call you. But how do you make that connection mm. to begin with? Mm. Yeah, you've got to make... So I was jumping on an airplane. It was going places. It was going to the NSGA shows in Chicago. Mm. Yeah, so in those days, so different. Today, technology is different. Now it's technology. And I think that uh, while a lot of people are writing books and, and today while while a lot of people are now out in front is because of this technology and COVID. A lot mm. of people go anywhere so let's do something. <laughs> yeah. It's it's and, it, you, make a, you make such a you make helping. <laughs> you you make such a great point. I want to I want to ask you uh something on this. So you make such a a strong point back in the day when you're building a brand years and decades ago no instant access to anybody you had to do it the old school way where you have to put you know feet to pavement and uh, and go out and and get your product out there i know you're at a different age and a different stage of your life now but let's assume that you had access to all these different mediums podcasting and social media and facebook and instagram and linkedin how might you say reach out to somebody now like if somebody was to play kind of a role play with you and say joe let's take some of your tactics that you used to get your brand out there when you were starting but let's replace some uh, let's replace say the airplane with say instagram direct message how would you maybe use some of these tools now to your benefit to maybe make some of your cause more efficient um and get to more people with maybe a little less effort <clears throat> well it's it's probably a question which is difficult to answer because you know you go through your life and you do what you do mm. uh, to try and replace that and do it again is mm. uh, it's like in two different worlds. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we we play uh, soccer in the United Kingdom. Yes. You know, football. You probably got football. football in Canada anyway. Yeah. Um, and and you go back fifty years and you see the guys playing on the pitches which are full of mud. They're heavy. They have a a leather ball which is when it rains a lot in the United Kingdom it gets and it gets so heavy and wet and you look at the pitches today the pitches today they're they're just so perfect they they drain the water away the ball is so light it's such a different game so you know and people say well would uh, would not loft out would Finney would some what would they be like on today's pitches Mm. and you you know or who were the best footballers? Were these the best footballers in twenties and thirties, uh, or are the best footballers now? And it's the different games. So mm. things have moved on. So to try and sort of say, well, what would you do now? <clears throat> mm. I number one, I'd be fifty years younger. <laughs> yes, <laughs> <laughs> I'd be more energetic. I'd yeah. have a different. Like you, I'd be there. You know, 
let's let's look at this. <clears throat> let's make something of it. This mm. is now a business. You know, mm. podcasts are a business now. Passing on this information. This is taking over newspapers, listening or watching the television. These things are happening. Mm. And so it's a total, total different situation. Mm. And maybe if I was 50 years younger, I would be looking at this and saying, you know, what am I doing? Am I making footwear or am I doing something else? Mm. And I think I think I'd be, I don't think I'd be making footwear. I don't think I'd be in sports footwear at this age now. Mm. Trying try to set up a footwear brand now. Mm. Uh, that's going to be difficult right now. But it's not impossible. Mm. And it, it depends where you're coming from. Uh, mm. New sport, new ideas. And as we were, t- we were talking about the pitch, the pitch that people play on now, as against 50 years ago, is so different. So the the, the physique is so different. Mm. I mean, the guys, the guys were, I think, heavier then in terms of uh, football. And it, you know, there was more contact. <laughs> and certainly it was a different game. So I think it's a different game now if it comes to business. If it comes to business. And, I, and I'm sure I'll be thinking something differently. Absolutely. What I, what's amazing is, you know, you, you look at access to people, you know, even, even uh, for instance, how instant technology flows. I seen you on Brad Lee's show. I think it was a little clip on LinkedIn and I just thought, oh my God, I'd love to have Joe on, on my show. And I sent a direct message, I think 30 seconds after I seen that clip and, and you got back to me five minutes later. I mean, so the, you know, the, the, the speed in which you can get to somebody is absolutely incredible. At what point have you been sitting back kind of looking at everything? Because obviously you haven't, you know, you haven't been involved with business for, for some time. But when, it, when it, you know, is there, has there been any moments or maybe a, a combination of moments where you said, wow, you know, the way humans are communicating, the way we're doing press and media is very is changing. When did you really kind of say, I think I'm going to get involved with that? And of course, you have a book and you're saying, hey, I want to get out there and I need to get my book out there and and do some media interviews but you know you you've been in the game a long time so for you when when did you really notice wow the tides are really shifting well we've been uh, you can't help but see the the moves the changes you can't help but see that you see it all the time and uh, I've, I've been watching Reebok Reebok's changed um, we, we used to be in performance but with, with with Adidas I think the decision of Adidas is which one of us does the performance? And of course, they bought Reebok, so it's their privilege. <laughs> so they do, they do the performance, and so they, they get seen. The, the visibility is through performance, through mm. supporting football clubs, and then they do the uh, replica shirts, things like mm. that. So that, that's where there. With, with Reebok, they, you know, they've moved over more to, uh, uh, to, to sponsoring people like... Um, um, well, you you mentioned Cardi B. You mentioned Street, right? You mentioned you mentioned to get that to get that you know kind of notoriety and to get that wider audience. You can't just stick into the performance lane. You have to go into I, I call it culture. You know, pop culture. You you really have to touch into into a wider audience, not just on the athletic side. But you mentioned Cardi B, which is which is kind of funny to me. <laughs> well, it is funny. I think it's one of the latest. Um sponsorships that Reebok have done but uh, it is it's pop culture it's fashion it's, it's where you are today <clears throat> people are looking at this and fewer and fewer people are I will say reading newspapers 
they're, they're looking at their, uh, their mobile phones or they're looking at the laptops. <clears throat> and, and this is where the impressions come from. So mm -hmm. people have to follow where do the impressions come. Uh, okay, performance sport is still heavily watched and, and is still a, a big influence. But people like Cardi B, um, mm. when we have uh, we have a lot of other, uh, <clears throat> Ariana Grande, they did some sponsorship with Ariana Grande. Yes. <clears throat> Excuse me. So there's, there's, this is the way they've moved Reebok. To me, I think uh, it's growing, and coronavirus has made it even more a bigger, made a bigger audience because people now you can't go out, you can't do visits, you can't travel. So people have to come onto their uh, computers. And the, the number of uh, Zoom interviews that I've done in the last uh, three months is incredible. And, it, and it's amazing. You know, you're sitting there in Vancouver. How many miles away? Probably 6,000, something like that. <laughs> 6,000. Yeah. And, and we're having a chat. And yep. it's, it's just yep. as though we're in the office together. Yes. Well, I, for me, I, I, I had to take that flight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I had to do that 6,000 miles at one time. So, so, so now we're... we're Totally in a different world, and this is where uh, Reebok now—they've uh, been seen because I mean the choice was to put Reebok in the fitness area. Like, okay, aerobics was probably where where Reebok really really hit the uh, ground running, and that's where Reebok became a, a really large company. Um, and that was Hollywood and all the yes. Hollywood A-listers that were wearing Reebok. That just spread, fantastic. So. Um, Adidas was sort of saying, well, why don't we sort of develop Reebok through through the fitness scene? But mm. <clears throat> the fitness scene, it, it's not, you don't go and watch fitness. Mm. You, know, you, you watch a football game, you know, well, you watch a baseball game, watch a basketball yes. game. Yes. <clears throat> not many people watch fitness. It's something mm. that you have to say, well, who's in fitness? Um, right in those, those early days, uh, Reebok had Jane Fonda. Mm. When the, oh, and the aerobic scene came, she was wearing she was wearing Reeboks in her videos. Yes. So, yeah, and and the videos were being watched by people who wanted to follow this new fitness scene. So, <clears throat> I, I think that uh, it is an area where, where Reebok uh, are now growing, and and, it, and it's something really it's, it's fairly new. Mm. When you think about it. This is fairly new. I say, I think COVID has probably moved it along 10 years. Yes. It's all of a sudden, we're, we're all able to use this medium because, you know, people, we used to have video conferences on occasions, but getting a video conference was so difficult, so awkward. And mm. you, you didn't really meet the people mm. because the people were not relaxed. Mm. The people were sort of, well, I'm just talking to a piece of glass here. It's a screen in front of me and, and I'm not getting over my story. I think now people can because it's so easy. Mm. You're on Zoom, you're on Skype, you're on whatever it is. And uh, the way the way that business is being done, it, it's all now uh, on the internet, mm. shopping on the internet. Mm. I mean, it's just incredible. You were talking about Julie. Yeah, Julie shops on the internet all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it's so easy. <laughs> it, it, we, got a, we got a delivery two or three hours ago. I, <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to go anywhere. It, it comes to your door. No. And, you know, Julie, so, uh, Julie, Julie sounds like my wife because I tell her, I said, I said, honey, I'm here. I'm trying to make money for our family. 
And as I'm making money talking, as I'm trying to make money talking to Joe Foster, founder of Reebok, she's probably buying some stuff on Amazon. I can hear the guys start to deliver it out, out of the house. But it's interesting because you, you bring up a good topic. For our long distance clients, I you know one of the hardest things to do prior to COVID was you know have long distance clients that we would consult for because they'd say, Ryan, I want you to visit me at my place of business and I want to see you in the flesh. And we'd say, well, we can get everything done because we're digital marketers our, our product is all on the internet we can do stuff for anybody around the world and now uh they're saying don't come ryan don't come to our establishment stay away <laughs> we're more than happy to do a video conference with you and you do see that shift in, in in what COVID has done you mentioned anaerobics and reebok and that was by far the biggest bump for reebok that that kind of catapulted you guys into something that was very very special uh, and you talk a lot about the impact of luck and also timing. My two words that I, I really love are curiosity and passion. But for me, I always say ditch the passion and focus on the curiosity. And the reason I say that is I think curiosity gets you through the, the punches in the mouth. I think when uh, passion, you know, we don't wake up as humans every day and feel passionate. It's impossible every day to wake up. And feel passionate, I think, because I feel that people, there's so many additives and so many elements to life that can knock the passion out even momentarily. But what I feel really does keep us going is the curiosity to say, what if we do this? What if we show up? What if we could get our brand into that place? What if? What would you say about kind of stacking up passion versus curiosity for you and your journey in creating, you know, what very little of the human population will ever create which is a billion dollar company and that's the facts i mean you're you're one of the few that's going to go in the history books right what would you say to somebody if you say should you hedge your bet on passion or should you hedge your bet on curiosity <laughs> well i mean a question like that certainly for me passion is 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 very important Curiosity, maybe you just put your nose in and you say, well, okay, interesting, go away. <laughs> if you've got passion, you don't go away. <laughs> the curiosity may sort of raise a bit of interest, but I think the passion is so important. Uh, mm. When we uh, when we have problems, we, Jeff and myself, we left the parent company and we set up as Mercury Sports Footwear. And uh, 18 months later, we ran into trouble. You've probably seen, the, it's in the book. I don't know if you've yep. read it or not. Um, <clears throat> we, we had the, we had this problem. We, we've got to change our name. Mm -hmm. And, uh, okay, I was told to find 10 names and, and go and see if the registrar would accept them. <laughs> and and it, it was because in 1943, as a youngster of eight years old, I'd won a book. It was, well, it wasn't a book. It was a dictionary. It was mm -hmm. a Webster's dictionary, an American dictionary. Why an American dictionary? I don't know, in, during the World War II, but it was. And I liked the letter R and thumbing through just to sort of say, let's see if I can find anything here. I found the word Reebok, a small mm. South African gazelle. Gazelle, mm. gazelle. That, mm. fast. It, that sounds good. So I took this to the registrar. I took it to an agent for the registrar and I pointed out, I said, look, here's 10 names. These are birds and these are animals, but this is Reebok. And I want this. We found it and we need to be in love with it. It mm. needs to be our passion because mm. if we're going to be successful, we're going to love it. We've got to love it. And and, and, I, and I think that's the beginning of where we start off and say, well, Reebok takes over. J.W. Foster, yes, 
that was a company. And then Wikipedia will read that, oh, well, the grandsons came along and they renamed the uh, the company from Jedward Foster and Sons to Reebok because that mm. was a much better name. Well, <laughs> it was a much better name. But the thing is that that was, that was the name that we needed to people to pick up on. It was easy to say, Reebok. It sounded good. And uh, so the J.D. Foster brand, <laughs> it's still a company. It's st it still is there. And uh, I think the shoes now, if you can get all of a pair of shoes, I think you pay over, over yeah, $1,000, I think you pay these days to, <laughs> to find one of the J.D. Foster shoes because they're, they're pretty rare species now. <laughs> but that's it. And uh, so for me, passion. Curiosity mm. is okay, but for me, it's passion. You know, once once you found something, um, curiosity does to me sort of uh, lead me down a route of different choices, going mm. different places, become curious. But mm. uh, when it comes to passion, it means devotion. It means mm. single-mindedness. It means something that you drive. Um, mm. I don't think you can drive curiosity, but you can mm. drive a passion. Interesting. Okay. Okay. I, I like that. I like that. What would you say? It, it's interesting because I I look at the uh, thing that you say a lot, which I which is I find very interesting because you know the topic of sales comes into into play, especially when people are are building you know good companies. And you say, you know, you've said, hey, I, I was an average salesperson. But what I love about what you said is, you said I want to tell the story enough so that our end user or consumer actually says i would like to wear reebok which is going to force any retailer to say well if my customers are coming in asking about this product maybe we need to carry this product so you said i wanted to build a brand that people would come to buy from me not me necessarily sell it into their stores per se how did you kind of come up with that concept uh especially back then it it, it seems i think people listening to the show right now would say well that makes sense but uh, you know it's actually quite complex back then when i think about it because you know you're very smart in saying i'm going to go direct to consumer and when we look at present day modern companies let's say like amazon and jeff bezos well what is what is amazon he's a trillionaire because he created something that goes direct to consumer in a fast efficient way how for you did you kind of come up with such a concept like that all the way back then <clears throat> Well, for me, I mean, I think you touched on it earlier that uh, I'm not a good salesman, but I was the only one that we had. And, <laughs> and, uh, and I would go into uh, to the retailer. Uh, and in those days, we had small stores. There were small sports stores. And they mm. carried everything from uh, a piece of chalk for a, a snooker cue, uh, a pool cue, any, anything like that, to whatever, football boots, footballs, everything. And uh, I would go in and I'd say, look, I'm from Reebok. And they, you know, they'd just say, who? i said, say, Reebok, and mm. what do you do? And i bring out my uh, my shoes. You know, we're a sports shoe manufacturer and we do this, this and this. And he'd look at me and he'd say, well, Joe, um, I've got Adidas. Mm. I've got Dunlop. Why do I need Reebok? And mm. that was the question. When he said, why? Why do I need Reebok? That's mm. not a and, you know, and I could stand there and say, yeah, why? Why do you need Reebok? And the only need, reason he would need Reebok is if some people came in and asked him for Reebok. They, mm. If there was a demand, if there's no demand, why should he sell my product? Mm. I'm trying to sell it to him. I'm not a good salesman. He, 
He doesn't need to sell the product. I think some retailers did sell products. Some retailers were good, but they had to believe in the products as well. Yeah. You know, he had yeah. no reason to believe in Reebok. Why mm. should he believe? If he if he'd heard that uh, somebody just broken a four minute mile in in Reebok, oh well, yes, he had a story. But <laughs> mm. we yes. had a story. I was just selling. <laughs> I thought it was good shoes, and so I had to answer the question why, mm. and to do that. I, I was, uh, we used to go around to athletic meetings, to cross country and road meetings that, uh, and, and, and in the north of England where we were, of course, we were selling direct to athletes and they were wearing our shoes. And uh, I would see them going past and uh, I said, that's my answer. Why do you need them? Yep. These, are the, these are my customers. These, these athletes are my customers. So mm. it was getting to those customers. And, and I was very lucky because in the United Kingdom, we had the three A's, which is the Amateur Athletic Association, the handbook. Mm. And that, that book had three, 400 names and addresses of secretaries of every club in the country. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> I, was not, I was a matter of sending a letter and just writing, offering a discount, offering a nice direct uh, sort of business between the two. They could use the money to put into the uh, sort of club funds because most athletic clubs really didn't have much money. So a little bit of money, that helped. I got well over 100 agents, mm. well over, and that's, that was the start. And mm. our business was direct. And yes, the the stores, the retailers started to phone me and say, ah, mm. oh, we understand that you're selling uh, your Reebok direct to clubs. And if you stop selling to clubs, you know, I'll stop your shoes. Mm. Well, okay. So I'd succeeded in one thing and that is giving him a reason to stop the shoes. Mm. But then I said, no, I'm not going to stop selling direct. Mm. So I said, look, with you, you're a retailer. We respect that. And we sell these shoes to you at wholesale price. Mm. I and give a very small discount to the uh, the athletic clubs. And if you want to uh, buy the shoes, we'll certainly will uh, supply you. But mm. I'm not stopping what I'm doing now with clubs. And about 60-70% of the retailers decided, okay, we'll take some shoes. Because mm. in those days, I, I don't think that the mail service was that good. It's, mm. it's much better today. <laughs> uh, and... Uh, and I think people also didn't trust the idea, especially the pair of shoes, that mm. when they got them, they were the right size. Mm. And what do we do with size? We have to start sending them back again. So a lot of people did like to go to the sports store and buy that. So we built up this uh, uh, this relationship both with the uh, the retailer and our consumer, the consumer being the athlete. You know what's amazing is is uh, you know you're you're a humble you're a humble man, and uh, it's interesting because. Do you ever ask yourself, what makes Joe Foster different than the other few billion people that are residing uh, in this on this planet? Because it's interesting how character I my wife and I, we talk a lot and we always, you know, we'll meet some people and I'm like, why is this person so cranky? And then why is this person so happy? And it could be an 80 year old person. We've, we've traveled a lot of places in the world. You know, we love Madrid and San Sebastian, Spain and the Malfi Coast and it's amazing when, you know, and I tell people, get out and travel the world. Obviously not right now, but travel the world to see different perspectives, lifestyles, how people live. 
uh, the the character you were back then building a business, you still see a lot of, and it's true, success always leaves clues. Because you still see a lot of those clues in your DNA at the age you are now. You know, one thing comes to mind is you're always willing to pivot. Open-mindedness to try new things. Podcasting, you're sitting in front and talking to a, talking to a computer box. <laughs> you know, such a different... <laughs> such a different feeling like i'm talking to a computer box but this computer box can get me a megaphone out to the world literally um what have you ever sat back and said what 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 makes me different is it luck is it you know the good lord above has you know blessed you with certain genetics is it uh you know all the above have you ever kind of thought about that like more of an introspective perspective on yourself well, I, I think you touched on it yourself when you said, is it luck? To me, it mm. is luck. But mm. luck is something, luck is a, a matter of opportunities. A lot of people um, don't know if they, if there's an opportunity comes along. Mm. If you see it, mm. then it, it, it's luck. I mean, some of the opportunities that we saw, you know, maybe, uh, maybe we'd pass a lot of people and they didn't know. Mm. You know? If, if the opportunity passes, opportunities pass people all the time. There's opportunity mm. in front of that. If, if it's there for you, then fine. But what is luck? I mean, look, in the 1970s, we, I, I needed to expand our business. We were in the running uh, business in the United Kingdom. Unfortunately, when Jeff and I started the company, we, we'd missed out on the football because by that time, Adidas had taken it over. So mm. to fight at this uh, with soccer, football, and boots, and that, that, that would have been impossible. But we, we knew the athletics market. We knew where to go in. But it was small. Mm -hmm. The athletics market was in America. And in America, and uh, the, the British government decided they would, uh, they would like to see the sports industry export. Mm -hmm. and, and there, there's a free stand at the NSGA show in Chicago, uh, the return airfare, and half of our hotel bill. Well, mm -hmm. That's a nice piece of luck. Why at that time did they come along? But I did see it, and I did sort of say, wow, we'll take that. Uh, uh, and in 1968, I, I'm in America. And also what happened in the 1970s, running became a category that just mm. grew. It exploded in America. Mm. Running during became a massive, massive business. We were in running. Mm. We were a running company. Mm. You know, Clarks tried to get into that market. But clerks are a street shoe. Mm. People can they knew anything about running. Mm. But we had been we had been really impressing people. We'd been fighting above our weight for a long time. But we were known as a running company. Mm. We we knew our, our market. <clears throat> so people accepted us. And so during the seventies and then the invitation to go to America. But although I went in nineteen sixty eight, it was nineteen seventy nine mm. before I actually broke into the market. Mm. 11 and six failed attempts, at least six failed attempts with other people trying to get them in. And I needed to find the hook. I wanted the key. And what was the key? The key was in Runner's World. Mm. Runner's World shoes. They, they started off rating one, two, three, four, which didn't work. But they rated them in star ratings. And five star was the best shoe. Mm. I needed a five shoe. And it was in Edmonton that we launched our Aztec shoe. But we mm. launched the gold. In the gold range, and Aztec was one of the gold range, and that was the, the training shoe, which we knew. We got that, we would have a tremendous market. And wow. 
was success in Edmonton. Our, our gold range was success in Edmonton Commonwealth Games. We got a lot of gold medals. We got a lot of good results. 1979, I showed this at the uh, February Chicago show. And this is where I got Paul Feynman. I got Kmart. Kmart wanted 25,000 pers, but at a better price. Mm. <laughs> 25,000 were too big for our production. But I knew I had friends that I could get production from. Price, we had to go to the Far East. Mm. And the Far East, we could get the price. So things were happening all at once. By 1979, 1980, everything was happening for Reebok. But mm. uh, well, we got a five-star rating in the, in the 1979 um, Runners World a magazine that they brought out where they were rating shoes. Uh, I, I phoned Paul Fireman because we got to know each other all the time. He said, I, I'd love to be your distributor, but we need a five-star shoe. I said, Paul, hold on. We've got to wait till the magazine comes out. And on that morning, I knew the magazine was out, and I phoned him. I think it was lunchtime for me, but it was only 7 o'clock in the morning for Paul. So was, uh, and I, I asked him, go down to the kiosk. Uh, the, the magazine's going to be on the kiosk. Uh, we, you know, we couldn't get it in the UK for, for another week or two. So Paul came back about an hour later. Joe said, Aztec, you got five stars. <laughs> oh, brilliant. But not only that, your other two shoes too. The other one was Inca was a spike and Midas was a racing shoe. And they both got five stars as well. So we had three five-star shoes. Yes. And that was... That was, we knew that meant we had business in America. Yes. And in it. Very, so, inter very interesting, yeah. Joe. I was, I was born in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. I still have, we still live there portion of the time, but I, I, I was, uh, I was born in 84. So I was, you know, barely born, but, uh, I, you must, that you, that was always running. That was running rampant pun intended in the Wayne Gretzky days as well. Right. For hockey. So, you know, it's. It's interesting how you're you're telling you're you're saying Edmonton and I'm like whoa wait a second it's it's amazing how big the world is but it's also quite small, isn't it? Just <laughs> it is. <laughs> it, it is quite small when you when you really uh, think about it, it. It is quite small and I think it's small because of like uh, similar people. Mm. The the people that you you know are the people that are, are in have similar thinking to you do things mm. that your, your area you know. It's not one of the seven billion people in the world. It's probably only maybe 500 million, which is a lot of people who probably yep. live on your, your level, your planet. Uh, <clears throat> but that's why it's small because they're mm. all over the country, they're all over the world. Mm. And uh, yeah, providing you can link in with those people uh, and they have similar thoughts. And so for us, you know, we, we got the key in America. And I think over a period of uh, 10 years, maybe less, 60% of uh, America wore Reebok shoes. Wow! That came about though. That came about with aerobics because mm. we were doing very nice with the Aztecs. Where our mm. business and running was really growing nicely in America. Mm. Um, there was a guy, Arnold Martinez. I don't even heard of Arnold Martinez. He was a guy. He was a tech rep down in uh, Los Angeles, mm. and uh, his wife Frankie. She was going to these aerobic classes, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> She came back and with, with her girlfriends, and they were really full of it, really full of it. They were saying, wow, it's fantastic. And Arnold saying, what is it? What's fantastic? And we're saying, well, yeah, you say, what are you doing? You know, well, we're actually exercising to music, and it's fantastic. <laughs> really is great. So Arnold thought he needed to have a look at this. He went down to the next uh, class, 
saw the instructor was doing this in running shoes. Half the class were in running shoes or plimsolls. The other mm. half the class had no shoes at all. He mm. saw an opportunity. Why don't we make a shoe just for this aerobics? Mm. Fantastic. Went to Paul Feynman and said, Paul, look, you know, this is happening down here in Los Angeles. It's, I think it's going to be big, but, you know, it's fantastic. And Paul said, no, 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 no. Look, we're doing really good. We're doing really good with running. Why do we play around making a few shoes for something that's happening in Los Angeles? Arnold didn't take no for an answer. He just went round to the back door to talk to the production people. And he did persuade, it was very persuasive. Mm. And he persuaded to give him 200 pairs, get him 200 pairs of these uh, nice shoes in glove leather. And he spread those around the instructors down there in Los Angeles. Mm. And some of the, uh, so obviously, Frankie got a pair as well. <laughs> but uh, he was in the right place. All mm. of a sudden, airlisters started to see this. As we were saying, it was a Jane Fonda. Then Sigourney mm. Weaver was picking oh. up uh, her, oh. uh, her Emmy in, yes. <laughs> in Reebok Heifelt. And the whole thing. It took a little while, it wasn't quite overnight. But the spread, once once it got going, it was incredible. It took the company from nine, $9 million to something like $30 million, then $90 million, then $300 million, and $900 million in successive years. That was the tremendous growth at the time. So, yes, a lot of people. And, of course, we went into tennis and then into classics. And that became everybody wore them for street and mm. travel. So it was an incredible growth, mm. but uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's that key. So there were two keys there, one to get the running, to get into that market, and two, Arthur was lucky enough to be there in, in LA. Mm. So again, we, start, we talk about luck. Mm. <laughs> you it, have it, to see right. opportunities. You, you you do there. Have you ever heard of a gentleman named Seth Godin? He's a, a best-selling author known for marketing. He's out of New York, Seth Godin. No, I don't know him, no. Okay, Seth Godin, we call him, well, North America, we call him one of the godfathers of marketing for sure, but he was on the show and he said, you know, a big thing I'm very big on, especially with the listeners that listen to the show, because you have a lot of people who are doing very good business, uh, some people are starting out in business, uh, is, is the idea of relationships, you know, how to build good relationships, because a lot of what you've said, this whole interview is very, you know, circled around relationships. And I'm a firm believer nobody likes to be hustled. You know, nobody likes to feel like they're being hustled in any kind of relationship. It's it's not going to end well. For you, especially when, and you know, Joe, there's there's levels to the game, right? <laughs> you're the rookie, maybe you're mid-range, maybe you're the leader. Uh, and, and sometimes it's a sliding scale. Maybe you're the leader and then you fall into second place. Hell, maybe you're not even in the arena. You didn't see that coming. But there's levels to the game. How would you... Or what advice could you give a listener that says, well, Joe, I'm starting out. I don't have a lot of credibility yet, but I'm, I'm trying to build relationships with people who maybe are closer to where I would like to be. How would you tell them to, to make themselves, I don't know, quote unquote, valuable or to get in the right room, as you said, with the right like minded people? What is there some things that you, you could say to them to do to to really enhance their relationship building capabilities? Well, I think you have to consider, you know, what are the influences? You know, what influences what you want? Where, mm. where is it? Who, who influences it? How do they influence it? 
And how can you get in there and become part of that influence? Mm. You've got to figure that out. This is, mm. this is up to you. Uh, I don't know when we knew that we, we had to influence the, the runners. We had to influence them to buy our shoes. And, mm. You know, these days, okay, um, street is being influenced, as we talked earlier about Cardi mm. B and, mm. and others. You know, the street is being influenced. But in those days, before we see what we're seeing now, sport. Sport yeah. was one thing. It's on television. You, you, you know, 100,000 people go to watch a soccer match or whatever. They are influenced by the yes. names, whatever players. Are, are In fact, I had a word. I was talking to somebody the other day. And they were saying about running shoes or about sports footwear in general. And they were saying, look, if you took the the swoosh of a Nike shoe, what does it look like? <laughs> the shoe. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So you get in that people, you put it in people's minds. Yeah. Uh, this, this, these are the images. You think of, uh, you know, and you don't play with that. You, you think of Ford. Immediately what comes in mind, it comes in that oval, nice blue, and, and the lettering. You you, you know what Ford looks like. And, it, and it's the same with Reebok. Um, we, we took a, a little bit of time. We went through a few uh, ups and downs to get our, to get our silhouette. But mm. we got the, the vector silhouette um, and we, we got the lettering, the mototecture with the drop R. And that became, well, it did become whatever. I, in, in those early days of Reebok in America, uh, when I went to Paul Fireman and we, we had the, the uh, Starcrest, he said, that looks a lot like the Union Jack. <laughs> yeah, I said, it really said, why don't we use the Union Jack? <laughs> I said, I have no problem using the Union Jack. It won't work very well back in England because we have Union Jack shoes and they're made in Korea. Uh, there'll be a lot of uh, a lot of discontent from the unions. But... What Paul said to me was, again, quite interesting. He said, well, you know, we're going to have to spend millions to get people to uh, to recognize the Starcrest. Mm. He said, but everybody in America, everybody recognizes the Union Jack, which, you know, okay, you think, well, you know, most people would recognize the, uh, the Stars and Stripes, but to say everybody recognizes the Union Jack, I thought was a bit sort of hmm, a bit strong there, mm. but everybody did recognize the Union Jack. And what's mm. more, it became such a tremendous point of sale. We had our shoes at the Union Jack on each one of the shoes and the box at the mm. Union Jack. And we didn't have point of sales. In those early days, you don't have that. But the retailers used to stack the boxes in a pyramid. Mm. The Union Jack on every box in the window with a shoe on each of the boxes as it went up the pyramid was incredible. Mm. Nearly every retailer decided they'd use that idea. So mm. these are the they, this, they could see this, and and of course the Union Jack just sort of brought the name Reebok mm. to the forefront. Mm. So the different things that happen, and although we don't use the Union Jack, well, I say we don't. It's still on the, a lot of the classics, still <laughs> still on a lot of the classics. But uh, when Adidas bought the company, this decided to use the Delta. In, mm. Instead of the vector, you know, the mm. vector being well known, they also changed the lettering. Mm. And to me, it's no wonder that the brand stalled. Mm. The brand, but over the last two or three years, they have a new marketing man. And the marketing mm. man, they have approach to this that I do. They've mm. come back with the 
correct lettering, the lettering that really grew the brand, and they've yep. come back with the back. And now this is what we're seeing. And yep. I can you know, always guarantee you the brand is beginning to grow again. Yes. It's beginning to be. And what do we have now? You know, we have the internet. We yes. have what's going on. And so I think I think the world is playing its way into where Reebok are right now. And mm. so I think we might see this brand really come back. In fact, if they ask me and they want my help, I'm there. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I hope the I hope the book just gives a little bit of a push. Let's people sort of read it and see. You know, this this brand has a history. It has yes. a history. Of, uh, 1895, you know, Chariots of Fire, those runners that were immortalized won yes. their medal in the 20s in J.W. Foster's. And mm. J.W. Foster, we made Reebok. Mm. So, you know, there, there's a longevity for the brand, and I think people will recognize that. Mm. And so, you know, add the good things together, forget some of the bad things, but that's mm. in life. And I, and I think that maybe, uh, maybe COVID gives Reebok a bit of a push. Mm. Maybe it's a bit... Yeah. Mm. So, mm. who knows? Yeah. I, I put out uh, to social media, we got lots of questions back. Um, but uh, Anne O'Neill asked a great question. She used to play in the WNBA, so I actually fired her a message and I said, what mattered, what mattered the most in a shoe when you were playing basketball on the court? So she asked a question. She said, I would love to know how they developed the writing personalization on shoes and what that and what kind of brand loyalty it's created? Uh, I used to write with magic markers different words on mine prior to playing in games just to give inspiration. And she said she's a little superstitious. <laughs> well, superstition <laughs> is very good. <laughs> it is very good. The reason Nike have a swoosh is the reason that Reebok have uh, had a vector and that Adidas have three stripes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. This this is the inspiration because you know that the. Yeah, the Bryant, Kobe Bryant, all these top players, yeah, they wore shoes like this, so they must be good. Yes. They must work. And <laughs> and if you believe that there's, yeah, that's the psychology. The psychology is if it worked for them, it could work for me, and it will work for me. Mm-hmm. You don't have to think, well, these these are shoes; they're just off the shelf. Somebody, you know, you can you, anybody can make a pair of shoes. Mm. That's that's the easy part of this business. Mm. Anybody can, but mm. to sell them to. To inspire people to buy them, to inspire people to believe, and that's where influencers come in. Mm. Yeah, you, you do this, you do the influencing because if it works for them, and people like to associate. Yeah, you like to associate people. This is mm. this is why so many people on the street were wearing a, a, a Nike or an Adidas. You know, Reebok is down a bit these days, but mm. they used to be at the top. Back when I left in 1989, the end of 1989, we were number one mm. sports globally. Mm. We were number one. Take mm. Nike, overtake Adidas. And you know, so my uh, my journey was done at that time. Uh, the uh, the pleasure, the the challenges, they mm. were over for me. But mm. uh, we went one. And yeah, getting back to number one, that's a tough job. But you know, there's a good there's something good to get from. There's a springboard. And mm. there are so many stories around around in America, so many things that happened. That uh, you know, it's it's a brand that really is now looking. It's looking for the next um, that next spring, that next bit of luck, that opportunity. Mm. And you know, I think it's around right now. Now, Joe, let me ask you this. I know you've lived you've lived a great life, and you've seen you know the 
the riches of the world and, and the nicest, you know, hotels and, and planes and all that stuff. And you've seen that side of life. Would you classify yourself as a materialistic person or could you, uh, could you go, could you go and slum it, so to speak, and get your hands dirty if needed? Like, you know, when you're building a business, you, as you know, it's, it's not pretty every day. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of moments you want to hide under your desk and maybe cry even sometimes. Cause you're just like, wow. You know, and you really kind of got to reinforce what the mission is again to get you refocused. But as a human being, would you say you're very materialistic or would you say, you know, I'm, I'm kind of an ordinary person. There's a couple things I really love. I love good quality. But other than that, uh, you know, I can make it work. Well, I think you can be both. I think you can <laughs> uh, like some of the things in life. Uh, you can enjoy some of the things in life. But uh, to be honest, uh, I mean, right now at my age, I can't do too many of the tough things in life, I, but getting my, hands, getting my hands dirty is not a problem. Uh, you know, uh, I like, um, we don't like big houses, we just like houses that are, are very, very nice that we can live in, and yep. we like traveling. Yes. So we still travel, we get in the car and we drive, yep. and we, you know, we'll stop and we'll sort of stay at a Mercure or an Ibis Hotel, we, we don't need to stop at the biggest place in town at all. Uh, in fact, we, we like to be um, sort of unseen. We like to go and just enjoy life. Mm. In fact, I've got two emails in today from friends. Of course, it's getting to Christmas, so we're all wishing each other Christmas. And the guy in Switzerland, another one in Germany, that mm. are just looking forward to next year because I'll be traveling. We'll be traveling down into Switzerland. Mm. Um, I will be traveling to Germany into Munich where we have the distribution. Mm. And... Uh, and we'll be traveling to Italy, to Varese, and we'll be walking up that mountain again and, and sitting at the top, just uh, sharing a nice glass of wine and looking out over the Italian lakes. Mm. You know, everybody can do that. You don't need to be rich. No. You just be fit enough to climb the mountain. <laughs> <laughs> Italy is a very, Italy's a very special country, though. My goodness. Like, uh, you know, we went to Europe for the first time, my wife and I just thought, oh, my God, like, there's so many beautiful parts in Italy, you know, and we went from Rome to to, to Florence down to the Malfi Coast. Uh, for me, the Malfi Coast, though, for me, because I love the water, that Terranian yeah. sea there by the Malfi Coast, it just it spoke to my soul. And I and there's trips, though, and, and I'm sure you can attest to this. They, they kind of change you like there's certain trips. I can feel myself the perspective I got. There's no amount of money that could ever give that to me. You know what I mean? Well, in fact, this is this is why I, I retired. I retired because I every other week I'd be at thirty-five thousand feet, flying out to some fairly exotic or important place for Reebok. I'd be picked up by a limousine. I would be taken take to the best hotels. We'd then find dine in the nicest areas, and we'd talk through just talk through the business. I wasn't I wasn't important to the business in terms of making decisions. Then I was more the ambassador. Mm. Uh, but and, you know, at that point, I, I was thinking, well, why am I doing this? Mm. You know, it's nicer to kick your shoes off and walk along the shore somewhere. Mm. Just, mm. just enjoy, like say the Amalfi Coast, really mm. nice place mm. that we can now visit. We can just where we are in France, oh, we yeah. can drive everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, we're, we're three hours away from the Côte d'Azur if you yeah. want to be the Côte d'Azur. You know what I mean? And we, we went to Monaco. We go to Monaco now quite often. You know, during my time, I was invited to the palace in Monaco. Mm. And uh, I'm sitting down there and drinking uh, 
Prince Rainier's champagne and I'm having a chat. <laughs> you know, it's, it's fantastic to do, but you, you know, to do that every day, you would lose sight of reality. Mm. You, you'd lose what life is about because life is about, yeah, well, let's go down here and walk around some of the towns, some of the villages, you know, like you say, the Amalfi Coast, go down into Italy. Um, the place that uh, we had in, in Italy was Varese. Varese mm. is just north of Milan. And it's mm. just into the foothills of the Alps. And so mm. we, we would go into those, uh, you know, those foothills and say, beautiful, absolutely mm. gorgeous. Mm. So, you know, and, and it's when you're working, you don't get that much time to spend and enjoy. Mm. Now I can go and enjoy uh, with all the people, the people that uh, are now no longer distributors, but are mm. still very good friends. So it, it mm. really is good fun. That's great. And it's, it's surprising that writing the book, writing the book has brought a lot of those friends out and a lot mm. of people, people from America saying, hi, you know, remember? <laughs> of course I remember. <laughs> you know, the guys who were in Boston, he's, you know, one of the guys is, is, is now in, um, in the North, Northwest. Mm. <clears throat> he, he moved into Adidas, into Nike country. <laughs> it's like, mm. But, uh, you know, 50 years have gone by, you know, and you're thinking, wow, that's incredible. Uh, but they're still there and they still remember, you know, and I think a, this, this is what the book is doing for me. Uh, and, and this is why now, my ambition now is to get it number one. Good. No point in writing if it's, yes. if it's just going to let's, let's Let's read it. So it's getting it to number one, which is what we did with the, uh, with the Reebok brand. Joe, I'm happy that you wrote the book because, you know, it, it, uh, it shows you're not greedy. Because there's a lot of like, um, I've met so many people out there that they they say that they have the secret sauce, you know, quote unquote, they don't want to give their secrets away. And I just think about, you know, when I'm your age um, and, you know, when you were my age, it's gener you know, two different generations. But um, I think it's always great to pass down. I think I, I think of things of uh, a fine tailor, you know, where I live, it's mm -hmm. hard to find a fine tailor now because a lot of the kids didn't take you know, dad or grandpa's, you know, skill at tailoring certain little things that you just, you kind of look for, but your, your book, it, it, it encompasses and documents kind of your journey. And I like to ask this question. Could you imagine back in the day? Cause you've heard of vlogging now, right? Where YouTubers take the yep. camera and they, they vlog their daily journey. What do you think if, if, if Reebok and you had a, a vlog back in the day where you just had a camera kind of following your, your every day, what kind of, um, what kind of finished product do you think you'd have for, for people to watch on a video? <laughs> I think, I, I think that's, that's amazing. I mean, it's like trying to, um, trying to move these things beyond that sort of uh, journey. You know, you, you think, well, I don't know. Some people would be amazed at what we did. What we did. Mm. And, uh, <laughs> I think probably I would be amazed also. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it's, it's a fair answer. Um, as, as we wrap it up, uh, my last question to you, Joe, is, and I always like to ask the question is, is what can I do for you, my friend? I appreciate your time today. And, um, you know, it's just been a pleasure to talk to you and, and thank you for sharing uh, some of your mind and, and soul with the audience. Well, for me, it's um, to read the book, which I'm sure you have, and to pass the message on and to say, you know, this is, this is an interesting story. And I think 
you know, a lot of people have come back to me and say they enjoyed the book, they enjoyed the story. Mm. And, uh, and, and I think if we can get the book to sell, I think this will help the brand because for whatever, I'm still passionate about the Reebok brand. Mm. I still think it has a long way to go. And I think it has a lot of new messages to, to, to give to people because, you know, it is a brand for the people. And uh, I'm still around just as, uh, you know, Nike's guy is still around there. Uh, <laughs> uh, but Adidas don't have people like that. Right now, you know, we, we have a history. Uh, and I think that history is really worth, uh, worth people reading. Instead of just saying, Reebok, yeah, that's a shoe. Mm. No, it's a lifestyle. It's what happens. There's a storm. Mm. So, mm. yeah, I like people to, to think that this is more than just another piece of footwear on a shelf with a, mm. with a brand name. To I like mm. people to understand that brand name and, and if they can feel some of the passion that uh, went into that. You know, I unfortunately lost my brother uh, in 1980, just That's when right. we were to break through, mm. just at that time. And... I suppose it redoubled my efforts to mm. get this brand out there, mm. who, what his dreams were as well as my dreams. Mm. So, you know, when people look at that and read it, you know, there is some suffering. Like you were saying, not every day. Some days you feel like crying, but you get up in the morning and feel that it's going to be a great day. Mm. Every day is going to be a great day. You know, the three most important things for me in, in business was fun, Mm. Fun and fun. <laughs> if you're not having fun. Yes. If you're not having fun, you're not going to enjoy your life. And you must enjoy it. And you must be in love with it. And, it, and it's got to be something that you, you really want to get up in the morning to do it. And Joe, this is why I love doing these, 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 uh, these interviews. You know, it started out as a passion project for me. And uh, I've done TV and radio, you know, a bit before. And I said, I, I really want to just talk uh to some of the greatest minds in the world uh, as a as a conversation and our whole mantra is is curiosity and it's uh i try to picture it's like when i talk to somebody on the podcast or the show here i just want the, the audience to listen as though you're looking at two old friends having a conversation and that's why i never send questions over because i just like the conversation to to flow and go where it may be you know what i mean okay yes that's fine by me <laughs> <laughs> Mind. Either way, I don't mind. It's uh, you know, but when you start talking about brains, I'm no brain surgeon. You know, I'm, I'm probably very dumb because I just focused. <laughs> I, no, no, I wasn't willing to go places. I just wanted to do one thing: go. Let's make this work. And I want everybody to know uh, if you check out Joe's Instagram, we'll link everything up. Uh, he's definitely a sneakerhead. I mean, he's he's every picture I see you in, you're you're in a pair of Reeboks. And I noticed that there's those, there's never any dirt on them. You keep those things crystal clean. That's a big thing for me. You know, the shoes are always looking fresh. <laughs> well, I, I believe that's important as well, especially if you if you're an ambassador for the company. Yes, you're really going to make it. But yes, um, <clears throat> I mean, you go through life, you do many things. I've had a new hip, and I've also mm. had a new knee because I mm. I competed at badminton, I played sport, I did running. I did think, but it, but it wears you out. <laughs> it does wear. And I find these days that wearing Reebok, somehow I, I can manage all day wearing Reebok. Some shoes, if I wear a street shoe, it, it doesn't do my knee or my hip any good. But uh, but Reeboks, nice and cushioned, they work for me. Mm. They do indeed. 
And last but not least, Joe, the stage is yours. How can people find you? Again, we'll put all the links and everything in the show notes, but how can people reach out to you uh, and where can they grab your book? Well, they can grab the book through Amazon or any uh, any reasonable retailer these days. Um, shoe, uh, sorry, not shoe retailer, book retailers, uh, bookshops. <laughs> they, they will have the book. Uh, but we, we do have, uh, if you want to reach out, we, we have uh, com. That is our website because we're talking about the Foster family as much as Reebok. Mm. Uh, so that's our website for anyone who wants to speak to us. They can see us on Instagram. They can see us on uh, LinkedIn mm. and Facebook and Twitter. Yes, and Twitter. Julie Tunnel. Uh, yeah, yeah, she, she keeps me well prompted. <laughs> and 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 uh, you know, again, everybody listening, may, please give my regards to Julie. I appreciate her setting all this up. Uh, last but not least, can you just say uh, hi? My name is Joe Foster, founder of Reebok, and and I've been on the Reinhold Show podcast. <clears throat> you don't uh, have to necessarily is- say it in that order either. <laughs> no, no, I probably can't remember in that order. But I am Joe Foster. I am the founder of Reebok, and it's such a pleasure to be on Ryan Holt's uh, show podcast. podcast. <laughs> Perfect. Show podcast. On Ryan Holt's <laughs> show podcast. I love it's it, incredible. Joe. It's incredible. Th- thank you it. so much, my friend. I appreciate uh, chatting with you, and uh, thank you for giving me an hour and eight minutes of your life, my friend. I, I really appreciate that. That's no problem. It's surprising. It's, it's wonderful. I can speak to people all around the world. And it's so good to be speaking to you now. So and enjoy the rest of your day. You've got plenty of it. I think I've only got well, <laughs> we're five o'clock here now. I think it's time for opening the bottle or something. Yes, go, 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 go enjoy. I'm uh, I'm going to take off here. Uh, I will send everything over to Julie once it's up and, and ready. And uh, don't be a stranger. I'm sure we'll talk again. It's a bear. It's a pleasure. And yes, I would love to. And if we're ever over there in uh, Vancouver, yes, why not? Thank you.